0: are listening to a podcast by Victory Alabang. Discover why we value spiritual family and why we need to be planted in the house of the Lord. In this message by Pastor Ariel Marquez. Today we are talking about spiritual family entitled Better Together. Look at the person beside you and tell that person we are better together. Yeah. Next week, by the way, will still be a series break. It's actually a special day because it's Mother's Day. And so we're going to be celebrating moms next week. And so we have like a special surprise for the moms. And so if you are a mom or if you would like to invite your mom, you may do so next week. Today, we're talking about spiritual family. And, you know, how many of you consider Victory to be a spiritual family? To be your spiritual family? Okay, some of you do, okay? This is like our spiritual home. In fact, there are sayings about home. How many of you have heard of this saying, there's no place like home? Right? Another saying that is very popular if you enter like some doors, home, sweet home. Or another saying is, home is where your heart is. Yeah, You know, just recently about two days ago or maybe last Thursday, May, uh, May one. Me and my two younger daughters went out camping to Dolores Quezon. And this is actually the Joshua camp that we've been announcing in church. And so it was a nice venue. It was at the mid part of Mount Banahaw. And uh, up there, the temperature is really nice. Of course, during daytime, it's a bit warm. But during nighttime, it's really, really cold. And so I, I get to bring along my two daughters uh, Anna and Andrea, at first they were not really excited because they're like city girls and they don't like camping. So they, they had this feeling of, parang ganun, no? so." I, I kind of forced them into it. I said, it's going to be fun. So you know, it's the first time for me to bring them to the camp. You know, I remember when Bea was their age together with my son Jerome, we would always go to uh, me and my dad camp. Back then when I was about 10 years or so younger. But uh, this time, you know, I had to do it again, pitch the tent, just enjoy the, you know, the time with my daughters. And so Shirley did not uh, join us, and they, uh, they stayed at home. And so, you know, in the camp, I get to be able to cook as a dad for my daughters. And I'm not really sure if they're really excited to taste my world-class cooking. But for dinner, what I did was I actually prepared hand-pulled noodles. How many of you have heard of that? Okay. Hand-pulled noodles, really a specialty by yours truly. And so what I did was I actually bought from the supermarket this noodles called Lucky Me and I actually pulled it out of the plastic by my own hand and thus I called it my own version of hand pulled. It's the best dinner that my girls ever had. And after that I uh, started cooking my world-class chicken pork adobo. And so I was making like a short demo with some of the campers there. So I was cooking this chicken pork adobo and I said, you gotta first make sure that every ingredient is ready and prepared before you go to the camp. In fact, what's better is make sure it's already cooked before you go to the camp. And all you have to do is to reheat it and so voila, I have this world class chicken pork adobo. And the thing about adobo is it gets better and better as the days go by. And So, you know, they had a great time. But, One thing about the camp, because, uh, you know, my my daughter Andrea is really attached to her mom every time, uh, nighttime. And so that particular night, first night, of course, it's only an overnight. uh, My daughter said, uh, can we call mom? You know, is there an internet here? You know, is there a Wi-Fi? I said, we're in the middle of a mountain. It's kind of hard for us to get a signal from this place, but don't worry because daddy is here. And yet, My daughter, in her heart, she feels homesick. And how many of you sometimes feel homesick? If you're not in your real home, and you're away from home, how many of you know that that is what you call homesickness? And so, even though if I try to pretend that this is like a temporary home, my daughter, Andrea, will never call it home. And so, what we did was, okay, I'm going to snuggle up between you and Anna, and so we're going to sleep together, and we're going to... You know, we're going to sleep with style. You know, I have an airbed. I have comforter. I have, you know, all the pillows that I can bring. And so, you know, we were there. I was in the middle. But in the middle of the night, one of my daughters started screaming. I said, Daddy, there's a moth. You know, there's like some, there's like some insects in the tent. I said, what, 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 what? And so it was a loud night for us. You know, they were screaming. Aah! You know, I thought I was not, I couldn't sleep anymore. But, you know, I had to do something. And being their dad would always be protecting them. I said, don't worry, my daughters. I'm going to take care of things. (laughs) So I actually murdered a moth during the camp. And so that was that evening. And, you know, very early in the morning, they woke up at 5.30 and said, Dad, it's time for you to cook breakfast. And I did prepare my own version of garlic rice this time. I did actually cook garlic rice and, of course, corned beef. But anyway... That's the place, that's the breakfast, that's the morning, that's a breakfast, that's a morning at the camp. It was really a nice place, but yet, for my daughters, it's not home. There's a big difference between our home and this kind of a home. It's like a makeshift home, and I think that is, the same is true with church. There's actually a church that you can say it's your home, it's your home church, and there's a church that you can just say you're visiting in that church. And how many of you have a natural home that you go to? Like tonight, you're going home. Can you please raise your hand? You're not sleeping outside. You're not sleeping in the streets. Right? We have a home that we call home. And, you know, when you talk about home, there's a big difference between people coming inside your home. Like family members, when they would come home, they would. Feel at home. Are you getting the point? You know, they would feel at home. They would just open the ref. They would eat whatever's in the ref without asking permission. How many of you have children like that? They don't ask for permission. Whether it's theirs or yours, that's theirs. Right? Because that's their home. You know, they don't care, you know, you know if they open the electric fan, and the aircon overnight. That's their home. You know, sometimes they ask for allowances, and here you are, you know, because they're your children, you want to take care of them. You know, they're asking for more loads, they're asking for gadgets. How many of you can relate with me on that? Okay. These are family members, because they are at home with you, being the dad. And the difference between the family member, and there are some uh, people that actually come inside the house that are not really family members. Maybe some bill collectors coming to your home. They would knock on your door, ring on your bell, tap on your windows too. But they're not really part of home. Maybe some vendors who would sell you some things. They're not really part of home. Or maybe visitors, neighbors that you would invite for dinner, but they're not really part of your household. And you know, I realize that there are two things that differentiates or that differentiate uh, family members and visitors and these are duration everybody say duration because family members are there to stay they're there for the long haul they're there tonight when you go home they're going to be there tomorrow when you get home they're going to be there the next day it's family whereas visitors would come and go they would eat and leave that's the nature of visitors they don't stay long Family members stay through thick and thin. Family members are there no matter what situation there is. They're going to stick it out with you. You know, I was sharing the story that, you know, me and my wife, we've been married for 24 years. And, you know, we don't really have a perfect marriage, though it seems like it's perfect. No, no, no. Uh, You know, and there are some times that we fight. But I would not tell her, go home. Because that's our home. I don't tell her, you go home to your mom and your dad. Because first, well, she's an orphan already. There's no mom and dad to go home to. But at the same time, this is home. We settle things here. And if there are you know, passionate you know, disagreements, we talk about things. We fix things. If we've gone through some storms in life, like losing a son, you know, we fix things. We stand with each other. We bear one another's burden. We pray with each other. And that's the nature of family you don't leave anybody behind. We don't believe in disposable relationships. We believe in long-term relationships. We believe in forgiveness. We believe in giving second chances. We believe in believing the best for the other person. Whereas, when it comes to visitors, they don't really stay long. They just visit. They come and they go. And the second difference it's really about responsibility. Everybody say responsibility. Family members have responsibility at home. So we teach our children how to be responsible. We teach our children how to fix their bed. We teach our children how to, you know, at least help out in the kitchen right after they eat, bring the plate to the kitchen, and so on and so forth. But the basic rule is, you know, at least take a bath, you know. Uh, and sometimes you still have to remind them, take a bath right now, okay? Or brush your teeth. How many of you sometimes still remind your children the basic things, okay? That's the more important things. But when it comes to visitors, you don't really give them responsibilities. Have you ever had a neighbor that you invite? Okay, you can come and eat dinner in my home at law as long as you will wash all the dishes, you clean my car, lock up after that, throw the garbage, and then you can do it all over again. I don't think that neighbor will come back or that visitor will come back and eat in your house again. Because it's not about us giving a responsibility to them. So that's the basic difference uh, with a, a family member and a visitor. In the same way, in our spiritual family, there are those that are part of our family and there are those that are visitors. You know, family members of Victory are here to stay. And visitors are just those that maybe visit and... They take the time to be refreshed. Maybe they love the worship. Maybe they love the kids' church. Maybe they like the preaching a bit. Or maybe they just want to visit. They just want to learn. Or maybe they're we're seeking. They're, they're asking the Lord, Lord, is this the new home that you're going to be bringing me into? So there's quite a big difference. Quite a difference between, between the two. We're going to be talking about that in a while. And so if you look at our spiritual family, we're, you know we've been... We've been established for about 30 years. In fact, this year, uh, 2000, what year is it? 2014, right? Uh, we're celebrating 30 years of, uh, of uh, God's faithfulness over our church. And we've planted our church back in 1984. And in our church, in this family, we have what we call five core values. And just very quickly, the first core value that we have is lordship. Everybody say, Lordship. That's why you often hear us saying we honor God in everything that we do. He is the center of our life. Jesus is the, the, you know, the one that is preeminent in everything that we do, whether it's in the, fa- the area of family, whether it's in the area of work or ministry. He is the one that calls the shots. Second is evangelism. Everybody say evangelism. evangelism. It's because we value lost people. The same way that Jesus values the lost, we also Want to be able to share our faith to other people. Third is discipleship. And you often hear hear us say, honor God and make disciples. Really, when you talk about a disciple, a disciple is a follower of Christ. A disciple is somebody who fellowships with believers. And a a disciple is somebody who fishes for other men and reaches out to others. And the third is about leaders. uh, Sorry, the fourth is about leadership development. We believe that all of us, Look at the person beside you. Tell that person, you are a leader. All of us are leaders. You know, somebody once said that leadership is all about influence. And how many of you know that you actually influence other people in your life? You know, if you've watched Spider Man or if you watch Captain America, if you tell somebody about Ang ganda ganda Noon, and if that person watches because of you, guess what you did? You led him. That's why you and I are leaders. Look at the person beside you again and tell that person, lead right. Okay? We're all leaders. And lastly, the last core value that we want to look at today, or tonight, rather, is that of family. Both natural family, we value family. And we've always said that we will never sacrifice our family, our natural family, at the altars of success. We'd always prioritize our wife and our children. We'd always put a premium on training the next generation, that's why... Maybe you've heard us as a as a church always talking about young people, you know, children, about youth, about we celebrate youth. And how many of you are young people in this place? Can you please raise your hand. Woohoo! Come on now, okay? Uh, niyo na to, di ba? And we celebrate young people, and that's part of family. Now we're going to be talking about spiritual family. What does it mean to be a part of? A spiritual family. And so we're going to be looking at Psalm 92. And I'd like to invite everyone to stand as we read God's word this evening. Psalm 92, verse 12 to 15. All right. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will what? Flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age, and they will stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright, He is my rock, and there is no wickedness in Him. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, thank you so much for tonight. We ask, Lord, that you would bless the preaching of your word. And I thank you, Father, that you've called each and every one of us, your children, to be part of a family that you are putting us in, Lord God, where we can be nurtured, cared for. And you can be strengthened. We thank you, Lord God, that you will give everyone a revelation of how it is to be a part of a spiritual family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may all be seated. Okay. Now, just to give you a background on this particular psalm, Psalm 92. Psalm 92 is actually written was actually written by King David. And it is a psalm that celebrates the Sabbath. It's a psalm for the Sabbath. And it's actually... You know, it starts with praise and just worshiping the Lord. You know, we've read verse 12, but if you go back to verse 1, it's, it starts off with praising God. And it's all about, you know, the blessings of a God-centered life. You know, we've read in uh, the verses a while ago, uh, verse 12, and it says, The righteous will flourish. And how many righteous people do we have here tonight? Please raise your hand. By faith, okay. Now, how many righteous? You're convinced you are righteous. Please raise your hand. Maybe some of you cannot. (sighs) Now, let me just clarify this. We are righteous not because of the things that we do. In Isaiah chapter 64, verse 4, it says, Our righteous acts are like filthy rags. You know, if you clean your car in the morning and you use this, whatever, basahan, okay. Your righteousness, when you do righteousness to be accepted by the Lord, when God looks at your righteousness, it's kind of like that dirty rag. It's full of dirt and mud. That's the way the the Bible describes our righteousness. We are not righteous because of what we do. We are righteous because of Jesus. And we've got to receive this revelation that it's not about us. Look at the person beside you, tell the person, it's not about you. Tell her, tell her or him, it's about Jesus. So when you say you're righteous, you're not, you're not being proud in a sense because you're just accepting the reality that I am made righteous because of what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. That is if you have a personal revelation and relationship with the Lord. If you receive fully what Jesus Christ did on the cross. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, it says, god made him who is the him here jesus god made jesus who had no sin to be what to be sin for us so that in jesus in him we might become the righteousness of god it's a divine exchange jesus being a sinless person we are full of sin he's full of righteousness we have no righteousness What He did on the cross was a divine exchange. I give you my sin. He gives us our righteousness. And the righteousness that you and I have now is the righteousness that only comes from Christ. Isn't that a great deal? Come on now, give the Lord a hand. That's a great deal. He didn't work for it. All we've got to do is to believe and accept. Now, how many righteous people do we have at this place tonight? Again, please raise your hand? Righteous because of the blood of Christ. Righteous. Because of what He did on the cross. Now, what's God's promises to the righteous? How many of you want to be blessed? I believe that all of us are claiming a promise from the Lord. Maybe several promises, or maybe all of it. Okay? There are some scholars that say that there are about 7,000 promises in the Scripture. Some Bible scholars even expounded it to 13,000. I don't know, I haven't really counted them myself. One at a time. But, you know, some of the promises that we can find from this verse that we have read is number one, the righteous will flourish. Everybody say flourish. Flourish. In verse 12, it says the righteous will flourish like a what? A palm tree. Have you ever seen a palm tree? How many of you have seen a palm tree? Just go out of Corporate Avenue and Commerce Avenue, you'll see a lot of palm trees. Some of those palm trees are young palm trees. And we're going to be describing them in a while. They will, be, they will grow like a what? A cedar of Lebanon. So the righteous in the area of uh, flourishing, you know, they were described, you and I were described to be like two trees. We're likened to be a palm tree. Don't person beside you, tell the person you are like a palm tree. <laughs> okay for positive or, I don't know, negative. Okay. <laughs> and tell the other person, you are like a cedar. <laughs> wow! ano the cedar? let natin Okay? You know, if you look at a palm tree, I found out that there are 2,500 species of palm trees around the world. A lot. This is just one species, the one that we have here, uh, you know, in, uh, in our streets. But, The palm tree, they said, the the tallest palm tree can be found in Colombia. And it actually bears a height of almost 200 feet. Okay? And it's so upright, and the fruits, they're like a crown. It's all clustered. And the thing about the palm tree, you know, I think the one on your right is the Santa Monica palm tree. Okay, if you go to... uh, uh, california you 'd see palm trees uh there, and you know no matter what kind of strong winds or storm that will come and hit these palm trees, many of those palm trees have been there for ages, and the more years that a palm tree has, the taller it grows. How I many of you would like to be a palm tree, mag ka muna, di ba? you, you know you, you, you actually can be tall as tall as a palm tree, but some of us are really. Physically challenged already, okay? There's a certain limit already that we have been given. But in the spirit, we're like palm trees, and when the storms of life come, guess what the palm tree will do? It will just sway. You know, if the wind is going in that direction, it will sway. If it will go there, it will sway. So it will sway, sway. And so, a palm tree. Once it's firmly planted on the ground, no matter how tall it goes, it will just sway and adapt to the wind and the strong challenges. And guess what? You and I are like that. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. Shut up. No, no, no. Next picture. Picture. We are gonna be like the cedar of Lebanon. Do you know what it looks like? Cedar of Lebanon is called to be the king of all trees. It's one huge tree. They said that one of the tallest cedar of Lebanon that you can find in the world is about 120 feet in height, and its trunk is about 30 feet in circumference. Okay, hindi mo pweding akapen. You can probably, maybe if you join maybe, I don't know, maybe 20 people and you, know, you, you start, you know, hugging it, you can probably cover the whole trunk of the tree. And so it's a massive tree. It's built to be sturdy. In fact, the temples of uh, Solomon and the, the palace of David uh, used cedar as part of their, you know, pillars in the temple. And, uh, you know, I'm not really sure if you've seen an actual cedar, but I think the closest that we can actually get here in the Philippines is maybe a nara or acacia. How many of you are familiar with that? How many of you have a furniture that's made of nara, wood, or acacia tree? Anybody here? Now, let me tell you this. If you have a furniture that's made of nara, it's heavy. You know, one of my, one of my uh, well, my, my family used to have a furniture that's made of nara, and it's heavy. If you try to carry it, and if you accidentally drop it on your foot, goodbye to your toes, okay? I mean, you can bury it that day, okay? It's, it's heavy. But a cedar is even sturdier than that. It's known for its sturdiness. And guess what? You and I, as righteous people, are like cedars of Lebanon. No matter what life's challenge would come to you, guess what? You're going to remain strong, steady, and sturdy. In verse 13b, it says, they will flourish. It was mentioned twice in the verses that we have read. They will flourish in the courts of our God. We're going to be talking about the courts later on. And the the psalmist or King David was actually trying to compare a bit how it looks like for the righteous to flourish and for the evildoers to flourish. Because in the same chapter, he took the time to mention some of the descriptions of the evildoers. Psalm 92 verse 6 and 7, it says, "Since senseless people do not know, fools do not understand that though the wicked spring up like grass and all evildoers what? Flourish, flourish they will be what? Destroyed forever. That's why, you know, how many of you know somebody who's not really a righteous person, but yet this person is flourishing? Maybe a neighbor, maybe your boss, or, you know, somebody who's not really righteous, maybe corrupt in character. You know, the, the psalmist is encouraging the, the readers in, verse, in chapter 37: it says, Do not fret because of those who are evil. Or be envious of those who do wrong. For like what? For like grass, they will soon wither. Whether they like it or not. Right? They will soon wither like green plants. They will soon die away. Can you imagine the comparison? We are likened to be what? Palm trees and cedar. The evildoers are likened to be like grass. Have you ever had Grass. But grass normally is just easy to kill. Just cut them off, that's it. But cedars of Lebanon are hard to stop. And you know, I believe that when you talk about being blessed and being prosperous, just wait till the Lord pours out His mighty blessing upon the righteous people. Amen. Don't ever fret. When you see people being prosperous, hey Lord, why is this unfair? My neighbor is not righteous. He's got a new car, got a new house, he's got some swimming pools. Outside indoor pool, jacuzzi up there. How do you know? Jesus, no? You know, and you know, all these guys are being blessed, and I am here, I am a Christian, I've been going to church faithfully, I've been giving my offering, and I couldn't barely pay the bills. And yet the Bible is saying, do not fret, do not compare, do not envy. Because they are like grass. Someday matutuyurin yan. Now don't pray for that. <laughs> now don't pray, Lord, kuri mo silang lahat, di ba? And then, you know, leave the inheritance. You know, you, you, let the Lord just work His way so that He can actually bless you and make you flourish. Secondly is, we're called to be fruitful. Everybody say, fruitful. Verse fourteen a it says that they will still bear fruit in what old age. Now, how many of you are bearing fruit right now? Please raise your hand. Voila. Okay. <laughs> now the righteous are called to bear fruit even in their old age. Now, one of our you know couples actually used this example, Panzer and Monette. They're just an example. Panzer, Tito Panzer is actually uh, he was actually an executive of. Uh, DBP, and uh, he, was, he served as an ex- executive vice president. He retired about a couple of years ago, or a few years ago, and he is more busy now in the ministry than he was working in, uh, as a bank executive. In fact, he just came from Seoul, South Korea to, to go through a training on missionary care. And he said, my heart is to serve in the ministry even if you don't pay me uh, you know, uh, a salary. I'm going to be using my own retirement you know, fun to be able to serve in the ministry at their age. When they, you know, when they should be enjoying, you know, just sitting down in a rocking chair, waiting for the Lord to come, you know. <laughs> they refuse to sit there. And they're continuing to walk, and they're continuing to work in the ministry because they will still bear fruit in their old. Age. Look at the person beside you. Tell the person, you are called to be fruitful. And then ask this question, how old are you? Okay, no, don't Don't answer that. Okay? You know, what does it mean to be fruitful? Of course, we are familiar with the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5. We have eight of those. How many of you remember those? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, Faithfulness and self-control. Now, how many of you have eight out of eight? It's all working, Pastor. I have all this fruit. You know, come to me, you know. I love people. I am a joyful person. I am so patient. Anybody here who's like that? How many of you would say that you are a work in progress? We are all work in progress and you let the fruit come out. You know, you can never see a tree trying to bear fruit. Have you ever seen a fruit like that? Let me just bear fruit right now. You see a mango tree. You know, you'll never find a tree like that. Normally, a tree will bear fruit without struggling because of the seasons of life. He will just stand there and wait And guess what? The fruit of the Spirit is kind of like that. If you're going to be praying, Lord, give me patience now. <laughs> or maybe you're asking, Lord, you know, please teach me how to love. Guess what? The Lord will just bring you somebody that is so unlovable <laughs> to test if the fruit is working in your life. That's the fruit. Another kind of fruit that we can actually find from our life should be the fruit of our lips. Second Peter, it says the fruit of our lips that brings praise unto the Lord. In fact, even James in James chapter 3 talks about you know, how can both cursing and praise come out of the same tongue or the same mouth. It cannot be. You know, how many of you sometimes, you praise your father in heaven, you know, Lord, praise God, you know, I got a, I got a raise, I got a promotion. Then you saw your brother, you go, talaga, whatever, you curse. <laughs> James said, how can both salt water and spring water come from the same tongue? Watch out for the fruit of your lips. Is it praise or is, is it merely cursing? You know, we need to bear fruit, even in, the, in our good deeds, in our, in our uh, spiritual, uh, in our discipleship, you know, being a spiritual father. Okay, How many of you appreciate the fact that you were invited or somebody shared the gospel to you before? Anybody here? You know, we're all here because somebody invited us. Somebody, you know, shared his testimony or maybe the gospel, and we have a basic understanding of what Jesus Christ did uh, for us on the cross. And in the same way, I believe that God wants to use us to be that person to bridge other people back to God. Amen. That's another kind of fruit. John chapter 15, verse 4 and 5 says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you what? Remain in In me and the first way to bear fruit is really to remain in Christ. You know, Him is He's saying that you know you gotta stick it with me, you gotta spend time with me. You know, really, when you come to church, you're not coming to church to join a church. You're not joining a denomination. You're not joining a religion. When you come to church, you are really joining a relationship with a person, and as a person of Christ. That's our first responsibility: that we be connected to Christ. You know, there are a lot of people who go to church, but they're not connected to Christ. It doesn't automatically make you a Christian if you go to church. Are you getting it? In the same way, you don't become a hamburger when you go to McDonald's. Right? You don't become a horse when you enter a barn. Because the nature has not changed. When you go to church, the nature changes not because you attend that church frequently, but because of what Jesus Christ does, does in your life, and eventually you become Christ-like and you become a Christian, and thus you're part of a spiritual family. Remain in the vine. That is our, our first uh, priority. Verse 5, it says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. apart from me. You can do what? Nothing. Nothing. We're going to be useless without Christ. We're we're nothing. You know that's why we're called Christians, right? Remove Christ from Christian. What what is left? I A N. What does that mean? I am nothing. Ah 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 ah. okay. <laughs> Verse sixteen. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might bear fruit. Fruit that will last and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And we want this, right? How many of you would like every prayer that you have answered by the Lord? Remain in the vine. Remain in Him. As you remain in Him, you bear fruit. Quickly, Psalm 1, 1 to 3, just some more scriptures. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates when? Day and night. He is like a tree. Ito na naman tayo. The righteous, the man who fears God, he is like a tree. Whether it's a palm tree or a cedar, we don't know. A tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season. Guess what? You'll always prosper. You'll always bear fruit. Whose leaf does not wither, whatever he does prosper. This is another take. On Psalm 92. It talks about flourishing. It talks about fruitfulness. And it talks about being fresh. It's whose leaf does not wither. It means fresh. So you, you probably notice that the point that we have is three F-words. Good F words, right? <laughs> Flourish, fruitful, and fresh. You know when you talk about fresh. Hindi yung presko, hindi yung, hindi, hindi yung fresh na ganon, di ba? Fresh is having a fresh perspective in life. Fresh is having the creativity that you need for your business. Fresh is having a renewed vision and passion for the things that God has, God has called you to do. In verse 14b, it says, They will stay fresh and green. Lasalista ng sulat nito. Okay? Ay, no, no, no. Fresh and green. Green means life. Right? You see, green leaves... And it means that if the leaf is green, it's alive, it's thriving, it's flourishing. And so it's, it's a, always a fresh perspective and outlook in life. And guess what? When you talk about being fresh, being fruitful, being uh, flourishing, we're never to do this alone. God always calls us to live in community and family. When Jesus called the early disciples, he never called them alone. He called them in groups he called Andrew and Peter and James and John and so it's a group that he established and in the same way if you're looking at a spiritual family this is what we are to do in Hebrews chapter 10 it says let us consider how we may spur one another to spur is to encourage to spur is to try to nudge okay to spur diba? they lost the game against Mavericks but you know it's fine okay game 7 tonight We may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but what? Encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Look at the person beside you. and Tell that person, I need you. I need encouragement. I need a spurring coming from you. We need one another. We are better together. Thus, the psalmist said and he proclaimed, the Lord is upright, He is my rock, and there is no wickedness in Him. We can do that. You know what? If you continue to spur and encourage, it's just so easy to worship the Lord. It's so easy to worship the Lord in a, in a group or in, a, in an assembly. But guess what? And how many of you would like to flourish? I believe all of us. How many of you would like to be fruitful? That's all of us. How many of you would like to be fresh? That's all of us, right? But yet this... Promises are for the righteous who are planted in the house of God. We skip this verse a bit, because this is really the context of how David was describing this cedar of Lebanon and this palm tree, that if you are planted in the house of God, then you will be fruitful. Then you will flourish. Then you will be fresh. That is, if you are planted. In the house of God. And being planted is not just going to church. On a Sunday. That's part of it. But there's more to it. There's more to that. It's about seeking the Lord. Lord is this the family. That you are bringing me into. It's about commitment. It's about having responsibility. It's about vulnerability. It's about knowing people. In this church. I grew up in a church where in. I didn't know anybody. You know, every time I go to church, I would just stare at the back of the neck of the person in front of me. (laughs) And I would go home and, you know, not even meet that person because the next week when I go back to church, it's a different person. But in our church, we give every opportunity for us to know one another because really when you talk about family, it all boils down to relationships, right? Because a church is not a building. It's a body. The church is not an audience. It's an army. The church is not about rituals. It's about relationships. We don't just come here to do things that are religious in nature. We do things to honor God and we do things to build for the long haul. I praise God I have brothers and sisters who stood with me in my darkest hour when we were losing our son, prayed with us, stood with us, stayed with us, in the hospital, stayed with us in the funeral home, stayed with us even after the, the funeral. And these are genuine friends. And my question is, do you have those people that you can actually call friends, that you can call late at night and say, Bro, you know, I'm in trouble. Can you pray for me? Can you stand with me? Do we have such friends? Are we planted in this house? Or are we driftwoods? Are we church hoppers? Do you know church hoppers? They're like grasshoppers. (laughs) But they go from church to church, trying it out. First week, this church. Second week, that church. Third week, this church. Until you probably get tired of going to church. Because really God wants you to plant yourself. In one local church. And we're not saying that victory is the church. We are just a part of the body of Christ. We are part of the universal church. We're a part of that body, which I don't know which we are. Maybe we're a hand. Maybe we're a big toe. I don't know. But nonetheless, we're stuck there. And we're called by God to do a specific purpose. Honor him, make disciples, reach the youth, raise the future leaders. That's who we are. You know, about six years ago, my wife, my, my wife really loves to eat mangoes. And she loves to eat Indian mango, particularly the green one with bagong. So one time, what she did was six years ago when we moved to our, our house here in Danghari, after eating a mango, she decided, why don't I plant this seed at our backyard and see what happens? So after she ate, she decided to dig a hole at the back of our house, plant that seed, and lo and behold, after a few years, this is our mango tree right at the back of my house. And just this morning, I took this picture, and I saw some fruit on that tree. In fact, I have some fruit here that i brought today and i said wow it's amazing that six years ago my wife was just eating one seed and she decided to plant this seed and guess what happened after a few years it started bearing fruit year after year after year from one seed came a lot more seeds that became a blessing not just to us our family but even to our community in fact That's just one of two or three mango trees that you will find in Verdana Homes. We want to plant some more. (laughs) Because I realize it works. (laughs) And guess what? Had she not planted that seed, we probably wouldn't have this fruit right now. And in the same way, if we will not plant ourselves in the house of God, you will not really flourish in your relationship with Him. You will not really be that fruitful, and you will not remain fresh and green. I'd like to share to you one story that I found from a book, and I'll just read it. This is a story between a boy and a girl, and how many singles do we have in this place? How many of you are believing for a boy, you ladies? Or if you're a gentleman, you are believing for a girl. This is a story between Jack and Grace. Jack and Grace met through a mutual friend. From day one, they seemed to be the perfect match. Grace was everything Jack had always wanted. She was beautiful, outgoing, and caring. Always there when Jack needed her. For the first five months, they were inseparable. Jack could hardly think of anything but Grace. He didn't need to look further, he told friends. She's the one. And every woman would say, Ah, how you wish you will find a Jack like this. Now, almost three years have passed. Jack still enjoys the comfort and familiarity of being with Grace, but the spark is gone. Grace's flaws seem more obvious. He's not sure he finds her as attractive as he once did, and he's beginning to resent all the time she wants to spend with him. One night when she asks if they can define the nature of their relationship, Jack blows up. We're together, aren't we? He asks angrily, why isn't that enough for you? Sounds family. Obviously, Jack isn't ready for commitment. And it's unclear if he ever will be. Have you ever been in a relationship like this? Don't answer. How many of you wish that you are in this kind of relationship? I don't think so. All of us would like to have a relationship that is committed and purposeful. And not just having a perpetual date. Trying to find out and trying to try it out if we're the one. And not going to the next step. You know, God wants you to be in a relationship defined both by passion and commitment, but before you can take hold of this wonderful plan, you need to know something about this couple, Grace and Jack. There are millions of Jacks walking around today, and the girl Grace is not really a girl, because Grace is a church. And there are some people who treats the church like Grace. You know Joshua Harris, and he's the author of this book. He Actually, wrote this book, Stop Dating the Church. And he basically described three church daters and their attitude towards the church, especially those that are not planted in the house of God. The first attitude, and as I begin to close, by the way, is me centered. You know, you're always asking about what's in it for me, or what can the church do? for me instead of what you can do to the, for the church or how can you serve for the church. The next one is being independent. They go to church because that's what Christians are supposed to do. check the attendance. It's an obligation. You just go to church because that's what everybody does. But careful in getting involved too much, especially with people, and they don't want to get that close. And the third are the critical ones. They treat church with a customer or consumer mentality, looking for the best product for the price of our Sunday morning. These are the people who come to church and they have a checklist and they say, worship is too loud, 65. Preaching is too long, 70. The jokes did not work, 60. The kids' church is too, you know, whatever. The aircon is too cold. So they come and are critical. But they're not really part of the family. As a result, they're fickle and not invested for the long term. Like a lover with a wandering eye, always on the hunt for something better. The church community is where we learn to love God and others. Where we are strengthened and transformed by truth from the word. Where we're taught to pray, to worship, and to serve. Where we can be most certain that we're investing our time and our abilities for eternity. The church is where we can grow in our roles as friends, sons, daughters, husbands, and wives, fathers, and mothers. The church is Earth's single best place, God's specially designed place to start over, to grow into change for the glory of God, and that's the church. And I believe that, you know, all of us, really God is calling to be part of a local church. When you look at victory, we don't claim we have a perfect church. We don't have perfect services. We don't have perfect music ministry. We don't have perfect preachings. You don't have perfect pastors. You don't have perfect ministry volunteers. But there's one thing that's perfect. We do have a perfect God. Amen. Come on, give the Lord praise. And this God was the one who called us who are imperfect and who said, You're good. You're my good and faithful servant. Welcome into the joy of your master. And I believe that If it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. I guess you will never find a perfect church. You know why? Because if you go to the church, you're not perfect and that church will never be perfect. So I believe that when you talk about being planted or grafted in a church, it's really about Him. He is the one who places us in families. I did not choose my family. I was born into a family that's named Marquez, by the sovereign will of God. I could not wish for a better family because this is where he placed me. In the same way in our spiritual family, God places each and every one of us in a place where we can be nurtured, where we can be loved, where we can be cared for, where you and I can be vulnerable and yet feel safe. And you can actually stand with one another And you can have fun at the same time grow in your relationship with God. And this is the psalmist's attitude towards the church. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Because if you talk about the house, the house of the Lord or the temple of the Holy Spirit is us, the church. Ecclesia. called out once. My main point I want to share as I come to a close. I'd like to ask the music team to join me here on stage. Those who are planted, will bloom, belong, and be blessed. How many of you would like to be blessed? Amen. Praise God. Let's be planted in the house of God. We hope you were inspired by that message. Listen to more podcasts and stay updated on coming events by downloading the Victory Alabang app for both Apple and Android mobile devices. Thank you and stay connected.